Well, good morning to you. I'm glad my mic's working. It is, isn't it? I think it is. First service, I forgot to turn it on. And, uh, of course, uh, then I teased Matt a little bit, and he turned me off. So we had a good, fun time there. And uh, so I love you, Matt. Don't turn me off. You must all have Subarus because you made it this morning. I don't know why I asked. I, I don't even drive a Subaru. I should have said a Volkswagen all-wheel drive. But no, the truth is you've got Ford diesels and Dodge diesels, and that's why you made it, right? And all the people with uh, two-wheel drive cars and trucks, they're just not here today. And, uh, but I'm glad you're here today. Uh, just before we get off, I wanted to mention to you, and, um, and I am not a prophet on this, so don't get me wrong that way, but I think we're starting to see a slow moving away from the land that we've been in. And uh, just to let you know, if you registered on the way in, that was the last week you have to do that, I think. And so next week when you come, you won't have to register. Your kids will still have to be registered in the kids' wing, but we're taking away the registrations. We'll have all the doors open, so it's gonna feel a little bit like normal again. And the other thing is um, we can even serve coffee and we're just trying to figure out how we can do that. And so hopefully in the next week or two, we'll have coffee and it's gonna feel a little more like church. And yes, coffee's a North American church thing. It's not all over the world, so that's a cultural thing. But I'm just excited to be able to say, I think we're getting somewhere and we're moving out of all this stuff. And uh, so hopefully you can come next week and be excited about that. You don't have to register. And by the way, we never ever required anybody to register. If you didn't want to, we didn't care if you did. And uh, we're, just, just so you know all that, and uh, we still are requiring people to wear masks, and uh, that's our choice too. By the way, it's not just a government rule. It is something, and I have told a lot of people, the number one reason I wear a mask is because there's a lot of people out there afraid. And so I don't want to freak them out. If I have the freedom and liberty not to wear it, I thought, well, what's the big deal? I'll put the mask on, and then they won't be as afraid. Because without Jesus, you know, death is staring you in the face, and that's the end. Can you imagine how fearful that is? You've been a Christian a long time. You have so much liberty and freedom. And uh, so, yeah, we still require masks to be worn, and hopefully that's okay. Uh, tomorrow starts March 1st. And it's the month, well, January and February I really dislike because I don't like cold, but March is one of those teasing months where spring shows up, winter shows up, spring shows up. Last year it was winter shows up and winter shows up and winter shows up. It just wouldn't let go, but I think I already saw the forecast today was supposed to be five, tomorrow five, and I'm going, oh, yes, and now with all the fresh snow that wasn't supposed to come, by the way. Uh, who do you believe about anything? Um, as we saw, we had four people baptized. In first service, we had four. And that's exciting news. In fact, it is never not an exciting time when people walk in the obedience of baptism. And uh, those, it's a beautiful step. It's, re, it's re, refreshing. It, it just it sets you free. Uh, there's so many times when God is asking you as a follower of Christ to humble yourself humble yourself and come under his authority. And that's sometimes hard, especially for a guy like me. I, I grew up in the tail end of the baby boomers and we were a little bit rebellious. Are we baby boomers? If you're over 55 or so, we're a little rebellious. 
And uh, not saying that every generation doesn't have some of that. But yeah, no. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this, this sermon, this text, I, I am just so utterly and absolutely excited about. And what it makes me most excited is that Jesus, you are going to return. And at that point, you, oh God, are gonna say enough. And the, the dead in Christ shall rise and those who are alive will rise again with, rise with those that are dead in Christ. And this is going to be exciting stuff. Uh, nothing to be fearful of. But I know as we read the text today, we're gonna see that there are sometimes those that like to scare us to death about, you know, we might miss it or are you ready? And then they often ask for money. They want to manipulate or control. And, and God, as we go through the text today, help us to be discerning. We have you, Holy Spirit, that will give us truth and we'll, we'll understand quickly enough. And so, God, I am confident that everybody here today hearing the truth, uh, they will be able to discern when they're being manipulated and led astray. And so, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the truth. And the truth will set us free. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So getting a little bit of perspective on the Thessalonians in the city of Thessalonica, um, as, as we read a little bit, I think it's in Acts 15 or so, and even in 1 Thessalonians, we understand that uh, the Thessalonians were a, a uh, they, they worshiped a lot of gods. I mean, they would have worshiped the Roman gods, but they even had other stuff. Uh, and so they, they were quite a religious city. In fact, there were certain sects or gods or religions in their society that actually proclaimed an end times theology. In other words, the world is coming to an end. The end is near. You know, you can picture the guy with the sign. That would have been in Thessalonica. And uh, so the people there were very aware or familiar with the end times, that things were coming to an end. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, as we read through the text today, you're gonna see, he, he's gonna appeal to them and say, hey, I've taught you all this in person. And in 1 Thessalonians, and we're gonna read through a little bit of that because I think we need the context for 2 Thessalonians. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, he kinda reminds them and does a little bit of correction. Even at that, there's some things that go on that in 2 Thessalonians, he has to remind them again what he taught them, what he wrote them, and a little bit of clarification because there had been some come into their midst that were trying to freak them and scare them and terrify them and, and basically get control of these people. And uh, these are really good warnings to us. And so we, we want to start, first of all, in 1 Thessalonians. So if you have Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And we're going to see, and I'm not going to give any commentary as much as first service I wanted to so bad because there's so much cool stuff in there. But I just want you to have the background so that when we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you kind of see some of the similarities. So here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not thing to be scared of. Chapter five, verse one. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. <coughs> As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Oh, I want to make comment, and I won't. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night and not of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. In other words, we as Christians do not need to be afraid of that day. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing. So with that background, with that teaching, with that knowledge, and there was obviously some one-on-one -on -one teaching he'd done, some things went a little bit stray in the church. And Paul wrote the second letter to address some of those things. And they're very similar, and you're gonna see that. And we're gonna start off in verse one of chapter two, and we're gonna see that we as followers of Christ are going to be gathered together. And I wanna point out before I read this text that God, right from the Garden of Eden, had this sort of understanding when Adam was created and he got to walk with God and person on person, they had a relationship going on. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. It's like, what, he's alone? No, you need somebody like yourself. And so right in our DNA, we're designed to do life together. When you study the New Testament church, you can go to Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and you start to see how we are the body, we each have our own gifts, and when you understand this, princi this, this principle of togetherness, it's so key, so important. I, as a follower of Jesus, whether I have a Bachelor of Theology degree, whether I've been a pastor for 30 years, whether you think I'm closer to God than anybody, which I'm not, I put my pants on one leg at a time, all of that said, I cannot grow and mature in faith in all the knowledge and wisdom and all the experience I have unless you're in my life because God has gifted you with stuff, if you read through those texts, that I don't have. So God has destined us right from the beginning, right from creation, before the fall, that we work better together. So here we listen to verse one. Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. 
There's a real sense of togetherness. There's a real sense that we are in this together. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. And then you go on at that verse carrying on, and you start to see the problem that had sprung up in the church. So he addresses, we're gonna be gathered together, we're gonna be uh, taken up to heaven with Jesus, the trumpet will blast, and we're gonna read that. But there's a little bit of a error being introduced to the brothers. We ask you, brothers and sisters, you know, the ones that are gonna be gathered together in the air, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. So somebody came along and said, here's what Paul wants you to know. Here's what Paul said, listen, it goes on to say, whether by a prophecy or by a word of mouth or by letter, in other words, uh, you know, um, my cousin Dan, whose best friend Joy was talking to Paul, and Paul said this about the second coming. So especially in that highly relational world where, you know, it was all about the relatives and the people you knew, that was your currency, the people came along, the deceivers came along, the ones that wanted to manipulate the church came along, and they started saying, oh, I got a prophecy, thus saith the Lord. And that's why when we go through the hearing God stuff, repeatedly, I will tell you, don't ever talk like that. Say, I think the Lord said this to me, and if it resonates with you, then it's from God. And so be careful of that. People that come along, and, and people like this, by the way, they usually will reveal themselves in their character and really pay attention, especially if it's, you know, a lot of us say, oh, I don't watch the news. And then you go on YouTube and watch news that's just put out by somebody else that kind of suits you or somebody sent it to you. And, well, this guy's an expert from, I don't know, Florida, and he knows best. He wrestles alligators, and I got to listen to him. He says he's a PhD in micro something, and it's like, well, you know, first thing I do when I get sent to video is I Google the guy. I want to find out where he came from because I want to hear it. So whether by word or by mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So you can imagine how disconcerting that would be. Jesus is already here? You mean it's already over? You know, and often uh, if one of the staff doesn't show up for a meeting, we joke and say, oh, maybe the rapture happened and we got left behind. And uh, we joke about that a lot, but uh, this is kind of the fear that a lot of them had. By the way, this is probably the, one of the first accounts written of fake news. Uh, you know, I, I heard a guy that said, or a conspiracy theory, uh, you know what, I think Jesus has already come. Uh, we better be freaked right out. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I, I've seen fake news and facts on both sides. You know, I tend to be on the conservative side and I've seen the extreme right. Like the, some of the stuff they say, I just go, where do you get this stuff? Like your logic or, or the extreme left. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, they're trying to normalize everything. I mean, sin is not sin anymore. And, and if you're my age or older, anybody 60 or older? In our day, people knew what sin was, right? And today it's like, in, in fact, uh, some <coughs> theologians are even trying to change that word. Because you say sin to people, they go, what? What's sin? You know, people don't even get that anymore. Well, I am who I am. Well, good. 
And, and yeah, I was born into sin too, and I've got all these proclivities that aren't so good, uh, following a path that's not so righteous. And we have to be so careful. I, I remember when the internet first was coming about, I was preparing a series of messages, and uh, I, was, I was talking about the cross, how powerful, you know, the cross, the plus sign, I'm talking about that, and uh, how the Romans used it as an instrument of torture and, and the significance, you know, back in Israel, you know, when, when they had to hold a snake up in a pole, and this, you know, I tried to explain, and I came across these couple of websites, and these people claimed to be historical uh, historians, and uh, they were PhDs, apparently, and they went on to say, oh, this, this symbolism in the church today with the cross is just crazy. Uh, the Romans never used the cross. They, they only put a pole up and they, they hung people hanging on a pole and then they tortured them and killed them. And I even quoted it in my sermon. About a month later, I discovered who these websites were. And they were actually one of our cults in our communities. And uh, they were trying to discredit the church and make the, they were trying to suck people in from my church. And I fell for it. And so that has made me really, oh, I'm really skeptical if you send me stuff. And I, I will say to people, like, I, I may read it, I may watch it, but I, you may not like how I respond to it. Are you sure you want to send it to me? And because I'm so, I, I mean, I remember I used to preach in 1 Corinthians and I used to always say, the, the Corinthian city was a very evil city. They had a worship of women, and they had a temple on the hill. And it was a temple with the goddess of love, and they had these prostitutes, five to 50,000 prostitutes, and this was a horrific, horrible city. <clears throat> In fact, I used to uh, kind of look at and interpret a lot of the scriptures in Corinthians, for Second Corinthians, because of that insider knowledge. A few years later, I think it was about 10, 15 years ago, some new archaeological digs discovered. Now, everybody that said that about Corinth and the, you know, the temple prostitutes and everything, um, it was supposedly old news from 500 years earlier in Corinth. And the guy that wrote it and recorded it was from the neighboring city. And it was sort of be like, um, you know, Grand Prairie, you know, Dawson Creek, you know, they're all you know, rednecks and they're crazy and we're so sophisticated here in Grand Prairie and Dawson Creek saying, oh, Grand Prairie people, they're, you know, those Albertans, they don't know what they're, you know, that town rivalry. And, and supposedly it was just old news and it really made Corinth look bad. What had happened 200 years before Corinthians was written, um, Rome had come in and basically leveled the temple, tore down most of the city and rebuilt it into a Roman city. And so it basically was more a following the gods, kind of like Thessalonians. And it wasn't at all like I had been telling people for years. Now, there was still a small little shack on the hill with 50 women that were prostitutes, but it was nothing like I had been told. So, so those experiences in my Christianity, I, I've become hugely skeptical of stuff on YouTube. Or hugely, and, and it is. By the way, I'm not one of those ones that think that we should be um, pulling everything off and giving warnings. And I, I really believe in free speech, free dialogue. People should be able to think what they think. But be really careful, because there's people like this, they want to say, oh, Jesus has come already. And you'll be going, ah, that's so scary. Or, or you know, he's going to come in a minute here. Are you ready? You know, give me some more money, and I'll, I'll keep telling people about this ministry I have. So let's be super careful. Uh, let's move on to verse 3. 
And, and we'll find as, as the text kind of begins to move along, uh, we will find that it, it's the truth that we need and it's the truth as Paul says it. And, and in fact, as we read this, my, I remember asking my wife's grandfather, Baptist preacher, for 50 years. I was just starting out as a pastor and I said, what do I do about all the fake stuff out there? And you know what he said to me? He said, teach them the truth. And when the fake stuff comes, they'll recognize it. And I was in conversation after first service and I said to the people I was talking to, in my experience, subjective as it is, the ones that are often dragged away, it's because they haven't known the truth well enough. So let me implore you, read your Bible, study it, and get to know it. Listen to good, solid theologians and preachers on the, on the internet. And hopefully I am included in that, not that I'm saying I'm perfect. But let's listen to how this truth sets you free. Verse three, don't let anyone deceive you. Oh, how do you do that? Well, listen up. In any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, in other words, um, uh, there's a lot of, st the book of Revelation, uh, we're gonna read a passage from that Jesus said. Uh, you can go into the Old Testament. That stuff is all fine to study, but don't start trying to put a date or hour. Jesus said he didn't even know the date or the hour. I remember in 1988, a bunch of my friends, they read a book called 88 Reasons Why Christ is Returning in 1988. Some of them sold everything they had, and they literally went and stood on a hill waiting for the second coming. They were convinced Jesus was coming. Well, this hadn't happened yet. This, this man of lawlessness, lawlessness being revealed, the man doomed to destruction, verse four, he will oppose, this is what's gonna happen, it's gonna be really clear, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. If you see that happening, some would argue that the rapture happens even before that, where people are called up to heaven, the dead in Christ rise, and, the, and those who are left behind. Will, some will say that's already happened at this point. But I will tell you, it's gonna be really obvious, so don't get, don't get nervous or scared, or if anything, get super excited that maybe it's happening. But when this man of lawlessness, and it's probably gonna be in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, where this person's gonna be either religiously or politically so powerful, they're gonna say, hey, I'm God, worship me. And you go, in our day and age, oh yes. In our day and age, especially as we read the text a little bit further, it's gonna become so clear why people fall for it, why people believe it. And I just want you to know though that the text is saying, this is really straightforward stuff. The end will come when a ruler goes into the temple and says that he is God. Please don't mishear me though today. I believe Jesus' return can happen at any time. It is imminent, and we need to be ready. And we need to be excited about his return. Uh, two, as we are told by Jesus, will be walking down a road, and one will be taken up, and one will be left behind. I believe from Jesus' teaching that I need to be ready. Uh, my lamp, from some of his parables, I need to have oil in the lamp so that when Christ returns, he knows where I'm at. And there's a whole bunch of symbolism in there and I don't wanna preach on that. Yet from this warning that we're reading about, we need to be very careful of deceivers. Even in Paul's day, experts came and they gave fake news. They had conspiracy theories. They claimed to be experts. They claimed to be authorities. They claimed to be close to Paul. And no doubt they were probably asking for money and they were asking them to follow them. Again, the text says, 
He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 21, verse eight, these words. Watch out that you are not deceived. Same kind of similar words. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened, although there's a lot of prophecies in the book of Revelation in the Old Testament. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. We need to understand from the scriptures that there are those out there that want to suck you in and deceive you. Get to know the scriptures and then when they come along, the truth will set you free. And as we move on in the text of verse five, we're gonna start to discover that evil actually has boundaries. And it specifically points out one part of evil that's being held back. And you might remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about how God is holding back his wrath and judgment so that every tribe and nation can come to Jesus. And I can remember the epiphany when I got that because I was one day complaining to God. I think I'd had somebody be evil towards me, stole some money. I had some people telling bad things about me or saying things about me. And I was just feeling kind of raw and hurt. And I was like, Jesus, when are you going to come back? I've had enough of this. And Jesus is like, okay okay, I'm coming. You ready? And I'm like, oh, cool. And he goes, oh, by the way, Anthony, uh, your, your, your parents and your siblings that don't know me yet, their time is over. They don't have a chance to come to faith in me anymore. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I need to let evil be around me, and I need to be okay when evil happens to me, when people treat me badly, because I want the whole world to know that Jesus is Lord and to be saved. And so God's holding back. Listen to verse five. Don't you remember that when I was with you, <coughs> when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back. He's gonna explain it. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. In other words, every tribe and nation needs to know. For the secret power of the lawless of the lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. We assume it's the Holy Spirit that's holding back. And there'll come a point where the Holy Spirit, and I still believe the Holy Spirit is still here on earth with Christians if we're there. He's still convicting men of sin rising. We know that when, when Christians are raptured up into the clouds, when the trumpet blows, we know there are people that come to Christ after that. And by the way, when we are taken up in the clouds and there's people that come to faith, they will be going through a really tough time. It's gonna be hard. Those who come to Christ after the rapture, it's gonna be really tough. And for you, understanding that God is holding back evil to a point doesn't help you when you maybe have been in this season of a lot of evil happening to you, a lot of bad things, people speaking against you, people stealing your money. I was on Facebook last night. Some lady in town was going, I got sucked in in a Kijiji sale. Is there any way I can get my money back? Evil happens. And it isn't much consolation to know, well, God isn't letting all evil happen. Well, he isn't. The man of lawlessness is being held back. And I, I do believe even evil has a limit right now. And you're going, yeah, but we still die and people are being killed. Christians are being martyred. 
Do you think from God's perspective being killed is a bad thing? What did Paul say, death no longer has a sting? To God's perspective, if you get cancer and die, yeah, it's suffering, it's horrible, but when you get to go to glory, you're removed from the evil. That prayer I had, oh Jesus, I'm in heaven now. Things are pretty good, and I know we kind of, well, when somebody dies, we think that way, but I don't want to go, but please understand this. God is in control, and he's holding back his wrath, and evil, is, unbeknownst to the evil, by the way, it's being used to God's glory, where God can be exalted. And he even goes into it a little bit more as he talks about this man of lawlessness in verse eight. And then the lawless one, who will be revealed, it's gonna be clear, it's gonna be obvious, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, listen to that, this man of lawlessness that raises up and if you kinda think, ooh, this is horrible, evil's reigning, Jesus is just gonna breathe on him. That's how powerful Jesus is. And he's gonna be toast, he's gonna be gone. And he will destroy, and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Verse nine, the coming of the lawless son will be in accordance with how Satan works. There's nothing new under the sun. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. So you're wondering, well how do people get so sucked in? Well, signs and wonders? that serve the lie, and all the ways of, of that wickedness deceive those who are perishing. They perish, listen to this, now, people will perish, there is, Caleb talked about this last week, about this judgment that's gonna come one day, and those who do not follow Jesus are gonna perish. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. How did they get sucked in? They did not want to believe in Jesus Christ. So God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who do not believe the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And I will say to you, does that sound pretty nasty and mean? You know, my God is a God of love. Yeah, he is love. God is also a God of justice. And my generation knew about sin and we are getting so milk and toast and fuzzy about everything now. We have normalized everything. And I often, I, I even, I, I have people come in my office, they wanna get married. I go, oh, okay, uh, so tell me a little bit about, yeah, we've been living together two years, okay. I said, do you have any faith background? Oh yeah, we both grew up in the Alliance Church and I'll be going, what? And I, I'm, I, you can probably guess, I'm a little bit blunt. Grew up before St. John, I'll go, you know that's not right. And they go, yeah, I know. And I just go, what? like, why do we, like, why would we flirt with sin like that? God is a good God. And, and he's gonna deal with people that are rebellious. And you probably know that, that for, there can't be two gods in this world. And you think you're God, you wanna exalt yourself in the temple? I mean, God's holding the atoms together. He's holding planets from colliding. And, and we can't have this random force interjected in and go, okay, I want that planet to move there and that atom to, it would just be a nuclear explosion. So God can help in his character. He is God and he is just and he doesn't like rebellion. And we need to humble ourselves and come to faith in Jesus. And you're going, if this is a little bit mean, listen. It's mean because God knew it's mean but he sent his one and only son who sacrificed himself on a cross, a plus sign, to take the punishment of your sins, 
so that you could have life and have it to the full, so you could be transformed to so you could be reconciled to God, so you could have a relationship with the Father, so that your hurt and heartache and pains from the evil done to you can be changed. <laughs> this morning, I'm reading in Matthew 18 in my devotions, and I had been there a few days ago, and I had read about, you know, um, Jesus, you know, they were bringing children to Jesus to be prayed for, and the disciples said, you know, he's a busy man, we shouldn't do that, and, and Jesus got a little bit concerned, and he said, you know, anybody that hinders these little ones from coming to me, they better have a, they're better off to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the deepest sea. And basically he's saying, the judgment that comes on people that are mean to children, Watch out. And I'm reading in Matthew, and, and, and Matthew goes on to say, and you know that text that we often preach about that Jesus leaves the 99 safe ones and he goes and rescues the one? Did you know the context of that is children? In other words, you harm little children, watch out. And, and so he is going to judge those people that do that, and he's also going to chase after those little children that have been so hurt. He's going to receive. Did you know, by the way, uh, people that are street people, I read this a few years ago, people, people that are in the low, I mean a lot of them have mental illness and they're struggling with stuff, but most people, 80% of people that live on the streets, they actually believe in God. You go, well, their lives sure don't show it. Well, I know, but I believe that God loves to be with the brokenhearted. It's the religious Pharisees that drive them nuts those that think we're so self-righteous and we almost elevate ourselves. I am so holy. I'm so, look at how I pray on the streets. And God goes, yuck, and he spits you out of his mouth. But those that are, you that have been hurt, you that have been violated and sexually abused, God wants to be where you're at. Here's my confidence. I believe the Holy Spirit is still convicting people today of sin. Romans 1 is really clear. It says that God has written on our hearts what good and right and good and evil is all about. And I, I really believe when people are reading books that say, oh, you can do this kind of sin and the Bible's okay with it, and that verse doesn't really mean, you know, as 30 years as a pastor, I've had so many people come to me and say, well, this verse doesn't really mean what you think it means. And recently, I heard a couple of sermons that were taking a passage and completely twisting it around to mean the opposite. And I'm going, do you guys read your Bibles or listen to yourself? Come on. But I believe the Holy Spirit is still convicting people of sin. Uh, maybe you're a Christian here today who's been transformed. Your heart has changed, yet you've tolerated sin in your life. You, you may not lose your salvation, but if you were to hear the trumpet blast, you would probably be called up into heaven, but there's not gonna be much reward there for you. In fact, you're gonna be a little bit ashamed for how you have squandered the power of God in your heart and your soul. And all the things that you could have done. I mean, my greatest fear is that judgment day when the great books are open and somebody has said, you know, you didn't believe in Jesus, you know, the book Lamb of Life. And they look at me and go, well, you knew? You knew? And you didn't tell me? You see, God so loved the world that he sent in one and only son. Yeah, he's a God of justice. But he's a God of love. And he's asking us as instruments of righteousness to go and tell the world about him. And you might go, but they don't want to hear. Well, that's God's problem. It's our responsibility 
to tell people about God's love in this world that's so hurting and so broken and explain to them what's going on. Why is evil reigning like it is? The world today is so afraid of death, and rightfully so. The current coronavirus, which the media has blown up into this huge thing, has them terrified. And why would I flaunt my freedom in them? Why wouldn't I just tell them about the love of Jesus? I am told the book of Revelation, which is the book that describes the end times the most, is best understood by persecuted Christians. Supposedly, us who in North America really aren't persecuted, we can read the book of Revelation, it just seems confounding to us. My own personal experience, God is there in the worst of things that you think you can go through. When I was laying on the ground beside the plane that I was in a crash, I just found out my friend Mark had died. I was going in and out of consciousness and you need to know that I had dealt with a lot of fear of death. And it's the only time, I've never had it before or since, where I've had this kind of, like Jesus actually showed up there, standing beside me, and he said to me, it's gonna be okay. That didn't mean I was gonna live. And I actually was okay with that. I mean, wouldn't you if you actually had Jesus show up? And I believe whether it's a homeless person or the person going through horrible violations because of sinful man, Jesus is gonna be there with you. My uncle, who lived his whole life for himself and he struggled in and out of prison and a whole bunch of other things, he, he finally, he, he married a girl he'd been living with, had two boys, he, he came to Jesus, to a faith in Jesus, and then two years later he got cancer and, and he was on his deathbed and I was there one time and he was on oxygen, he had lung cancer because he'd smoked his whole life and he was, he was so afraid, he was gasping for breath and he was dying and he knew it and he was so afraid, he was crying, I don't wanna die, I don't wanna die. And I remember that going, oh, come on, uncle, you're a Christian, it shouldn't be. But my aunt tells me that when he actually did die, he was in the hospital, he'd been in a coma three days, and all of a sudden, he woke up, sat up in the bed and said, do you see all the angels, do you hear, oh, it's beautiful. And he literally fell over dead. You see, God is there in relationship with us. I had a doctor in my last church in one of the times we were visiting. He said, Pastor, you know, in a small town, I, I get to birth children, babies, get to help moms have babies. And uh, that didn't come out right. You know what I mean. And he said, I get to be with people that are dying. And he said, I've noticed something over the years. Christians die differently. And I don't believe it's because of our belief system. I believe it's because God's presence is with us. And if you haven't experienced God's presence in a long time, if this whole idea of the end times scares you, don't let us, it's exciting. And in conclusion, I just wanna say these few things. Beware of false teachers. Beware of what you're listening, what you're watching. Try to find out you know, there's a lot of preachers that we can confidently listen today. They have a long history, although, you know, recently we got betrayed by one that we thought was great, and nobody is perfect, I suppose. But, you know, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, I mean, Chuck Swindoll, these are great preachers that we've listened to for years. We know what their fruit is. 
And secondly, it's really important for us to know the end game. In other words, the second coming of Christ. And when we know the end game, it really needs to change our short game. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's football talk or hockey talk, whatever. When, when you go, okay, we, we know where we want to get down the field in football. We know what, and so then our short game, what we're doing right now, doesn't seem so bad. We need to, as followers of Christ, fix our short. We need to, when we know the truth, then it should set us free. And the final point I want to point out, because we can get really frustrated people, and especially if we were to keep reading this text, which I cut off the best part of it. And verse, uh, I've got to find the verse. Verse 10, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved for this reason. God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned and who have not believed in the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You know, um, there, there really is a sense where, where God is literally giving people over to what they want. Romans 1 is clear. It talks about a progression in Romans 1. We as followers of Christ, we need to know the long game. We need to know Christ is coming and it needs to affect where we're at today. So third and finally, the people that are scared today, the people that are arrogant today, you know, it's like, well, I think I can do this sin all I want and you can't stop me. We need to love them unconditionally and we need to invite them into receiving salvation and it's not your job to save them, save them in case they get mad and angry. I remember I was riding on a bus once and I started sharing the gospel. Ooh, the guy, I'd never heard myself called so many names as that guy. And he got up and the bus had just stopped and he stormed off the bus and gave me a hand signal. And it wasn't, go to Jesus. But in my heart, I wonder if he's come to Christ. I'd love to hear that. So love the scared or arrogant and invite them to receive salvation. <laughs> Friends, there is good and evil in the world and we've all experienced it. And there is hope for today. In Jesus, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. And there are deceivers out there that would love to get our allegiance, our money, our following. And uh, I need your Holy Spirit so desperately so that I'd, I'm not manipulative because I know I can have that tendency like anybody. <laughs> I am a man who wants to see things go well in my churches but I have to be humble and I need to see you going well in our churches, not me. Less of me, more of you. And God, as we have gone through this text, may it motivate us as we see the long game that Jesus is coming back. And it's gonna be obvious when it happens. May that affect our short game. May that affect us right now and how we live and what we do. And I know, God, you're not against us having a nice truck a nice car, a nice house, working hard at our jobs. But if that is at expense of the gospel, at expense of being in the word, at expense of fellowshipping with the brothers consistently, at expense of using our gifts in the church so others may grow, oh God, forgive us. And thank you for your truth today. May we know the truth and may it set us free. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand with me.
there is always opportunity for prayer at the front. As I was sitting on the front pew, I, I, I just, it's been a rough week. It's been busy, lots of weird things happening. And uh, I've told you before, I usually go on the front pew and the first thing I do is confess my sin. And I'm sitting and listening to the worship and all of a sudden, I, like I had no, I just came under such conviction and my first response was, oh cool, Holy Spirit's here. People are gonna confess their sins. And all of a sudden God's going, no, I'm actually talking to you right now. Like, oh. And I just, I just, like I almost lost my breath at that thought. And I'm like, okay. And God goes, well, you know, there's a couple of things we need to talk about. And so I confess them. You know, different attitudes or things that had happened this week. And I had to get them right. But I really believe the Holy Spirit is here. And, and just want to encourage you to come down and get prayer. And just say, yeah, I... I I, I want to know the truth, and I've been reading books that have sucked me in, you know, whether it's on end time stuff or, you know, you can, you know, have five wives and it's okay, whatever it might be. And yes, I know I'm skirting around the big issue. <laughs> but I want to love people who are lost, and God gives them over to their delusions, and I want to care for them, and I want to tell them about Jesus. So if you need to come down, oh, and tonight, you're standing so long, you're so tired, and your legs are growing tired, and you're getting sleep. No, I'm just joking. Tonight, we have our prayer summit at 6 o'clock. Last month, we had a lot of people show up, and you doubled my expectation. So thank you. So would you gather with the rest of us? And let's pray together. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray what happens, then I will hear from them and I will heal their land. And I believe the conviction I felt in the front pew is because we're praying. So I just want to encourage you to come out tonight at six and pray. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23, which I say all the time, it's interesting that we're going through second Corinthians. but first Thessalonians says, and now may God himself, the God of peace, are you lacking peace? May he sanctify you through and through. So this struggle with sin, the Holy Spirit is there. And it, it's not like we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, we, we've got the Holy Spirit. The, the one, like, that, like Jesus can just blow on the man of lawlessness and he's toast. This same Holy Spirit is with us. He will sanctify you through and through so that your whole spirit, soul, and body may be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is faithful, he will do it. Do you believe that? Amen? Fellowship in peace.